Grace and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who comforts us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So today as we observe the 506th anniversary of the events that sparked the reformation of God's holy church, Martin Luther stands as a witness, as one who has been redeemed, helped, and comforted by the gospel. Martin Luther wanted to enter into a debate in 1517 over the sale of indulgences. And so he nails the 95 theses, his 95 topics for dispute, onto the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. And that one event sparked a series of debates that would change the world. So much of our world today is a product of the Reformation. Ideas that we take for granted in the United States, like religious liberty of conscience, or modern education, or the freedom of speech that we enjoy, these are ideas that have their roots in the struggles and controversies of the Reformation and all that came from it. The modern age truly began in this era. Yet, above all the developments and thoughts and theology, all of the works that have poured out and, and gone to create the societies that we live in today, the most important and greatest gift of the Reformation is the one that we celebrate today, and it is the rediscovery of the gospel of Christ. It is that gospel which proclaims that man is justified, made right in the eyes of God by grace alone through faith alone, by the merit of Christ alone, which is declared through the Holy Scriptures alone. And all of this, God alone, is to be glorified. And so we have the five solas of the Reformation, sola fide, faith alone, sola gratia, grace alone, sola scriptura, the word of God alone, sola Christ, solus Christus, Christ alone, and soli deo gloria, glory be to God alone as we sang at the beginning of the service this morning. Luther is the perfect case study of the torment that people can go through when these teachings are neglected. In Luther's day, the forgiveness of sins was a commodity that was judiciously guarded by the church. You see, the way things worked in the pre-Reformation world is that people believed that baptism gave, person something, gave a person something called initial grace from Christ. And that initial grace would create a spark within you that would enable a person to do good works and merit salvation for themselves. Jesus starts the salvation, but you have to complete it. And some were especially good at this completion of their salvation, so much that they had a super extra bunch of good works, and they were called the saints. And all the good works of the saints were stored up in a treasury of merit, and so the church had the keys to this big bank account of all the extra good works of the saints, and they could disperse these good works to the people as they willed. And so the people of the church needed these good works to be distributed to them because their sins weighed heavily upon them, and they wanted to be comforted. And so those sins were not absolved, directly and freely, 
but they were absolved through a system of penance, works that a person must do to make satisfaction for their sins. And all those that didn't get washed out in the system of penance would have to be burnt out of them after death as they suffered years of agony in purgatory. And so the church would give out these extra good works of the saints to the people by selling them indulgences or accepting payment to say private masses or, or through the worship of saintly relics, little chunks or memorabilia from all the saints that had come before them. And these acts would earn a person time out of purgatory. And it was said that before the Reformation, Frederick the Wise had such a great uh, collection of relics and Wittenberg, this would have been Martin Luther's prince, that a person could earn 1,902,202 years and 270 days out of purgatory. It makes you wonder how much time you spent in purgatory. And if you really wanted to do your part, you could detach from the world and join the monastery. And that was for the really spiritual people, and there, maybe, you could tap into this treasury of merit, but also, if you were a really perfect monk, you could add to it, provided that you stopped sinning, of course. This drove Martin Luther nearly to the point of madness. He followed the system of penance. He was terrified of God. He was terrified by his sin, and he did not want to meet Christ as a judge who would punish him and torment him. He did all that he could to escape the wrath of purgatory. He entered the monastery. He spent hours confessing his sins. He venerated relics in Wittenberg and Rome and everywhere else he could. He fasted. He beat his body. He would lay out before the Lord in the snow for hours at a time to discipline his body and deny his flesh. He was ordained. He studied to become a doctor of theology within the church. He attended countless masses, and yet none of it could soothe his conscience when it came to his sin. He would walk from the confessional, turn around, remember a sin that he had committed, and go right back in. He was honest with himself, and he saw his sins for what they are, and he knew that they outnumbered his works of devotion. And it drove him into an existential personal hell. As Luther wrote in his semi-autobiographical hymn, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice, he said, My own good works all came to naught, no grace or merit gaining, free will against God's judgment fought, dead to all good remaining. My fears increased till sheer despair left only death to be my share. The pangs of hell I suffered. His life was a living hell because he could not conceive of the grace of God in the gospel. And that is because the forgiveness of sins given by the grace of Christ alone, without any merit or worthiness in me, was not preached. It was not declared to him purely and clearly from the scriptures. And Luther wasn't alone. So many souls suffered great abuse from the church because they did not know the gospel. The recovery of the gospel did not come to Luther by human authorities in the church. It came from one place, one thing, 
And that is the study of God's holy word. It was through the study of the Bible, as Luther read the Psalms, and he finally discovered that the God that he saw in the Psalms was good, was kind, was gracious. It was a God who desired to comfort sinners with forgiveness and love. He found a loving God, not a terrible God. And then he read the book of Romans, and he heard St. Paul give his slow and detailed account of how we are saved. He heard the words of Romans 3, and those words changed Luther's life, as we read in the epistle lesson today, where it says, There is no distinction, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, a gracious gift received by faith. Here he saw what God had done for poor sinners. Christ sheds his blood and dies to make satisfaction for all our sins. He dies once and for all. And he, as he does this, we are justified. We're made holy before God. And this is to be received by faith alone. As it says in Romans 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You hear that? Luther read the scriptures. And this rediscovery of the true gospel changed Luther's life. And in that, it changed the world. Because he no longer saw God as a cruel monster who was hell-bent on punishing him for his sins, but as a loving father who would give everything to redeem him and welcome him into the kingdom of grace. And Luther, as a doctor and pastor of the church, could not help but proclaim this. He taught it at the University of Wittenberg. He preached it from the pulpit in the castle church. He published it, and this doctrine spread. He was condemned as a heretic and made an outlaw by the emperor, but it did not matter. Luther preached the gospel. Many followed after him, and here we stand to this day as confessional Lutherans 500 years later. And this brings us to this morning's reading from the book of Revelation. Is how does the church stand? Upon what does the church stand and fall? What should we as Christians receive our comfort in? And St. John is receiving a series of images from Christ in the book of Revelation. John had just received images of the dragon that is cast down from heaven and the beast that he calls up from the sea to serve him. And these are Satan and the earthly authorities that Satan uses to drive men into hell. And the two beasts of the book of Revelation are the political beast and the religious beast, these tools that the devil uses to subject us to his power and authority. And it is the corrupt governments and the, the apostate churches that the devil uses to subvert and prevent the teaching of the gospel. And they subjugate the world under their authority, and in this way, they are antichrist. And Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, but they stand as a challenge to that authority. 
Jesus' authority is used to free men from their sins, but these antichrists desire to bind men into their sins so that they cannot escape them. They want man to be so deeply attached to his sins that that man could not imagine a life apart from it. And so the dragon and his beast, they attack the church. They persecute the faithful. They establish false and apostate churches. And they support that church with the power of a corrupt political system. And so all the earthly powers are used by these antichrists to prevent the gospel from being heard for the salvation of sinners. That is exactly how it was in Luther's day. As you had a corrupt church that did not preach the gospel and corrupt political leaders who did not want the gospel preached. These are the antichrists of Luther's day. And they exist today as well. Because here, in the midst of all of it, though, we have something different. As these beasts and this dragon persecute and seek to stop the preaching of the gospel, here we have the angel who comes to speak judgment against the dragon and his beast. And he comes with power, proclaiming an eternal gospel, saying, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Here the angel comes to proclaim this message of freedom. He judges the dragon, he judges his beast, and he frees those who hear the gospel and believe. The Antichrist... They desire nothing more than that we are left in bondage to our sins, that we share in their eternal punishment, and that we find ourselves in hell with them. They truly hate the gospel that forgives sins. And so, as Jesus says, as you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be freed indeed. They hear these words of Jesus and they scoff at this freedom. And they teach men to scoff at that freedom as well. That happened in Luther's day, certainly, as the eternal gospel was subverted by that system of penance, indulgence, monasticism, and papal authority. And that's why Luther and the other reformers called the Pope and the office of the papacy the Antichrist. He and the authorities that were guarding, that, that guarded, that he guarded, were using the power of the church to bind people in their sins. Not to free them through the preaching of the gospel, but to bind them up in dead works. And certainly the spirit of the Antichrist exists today as well. It exists in every church that denies or abuses the gospel. It exists in every place where the gospel is not preached or the gospel becomes something other than the forgiveness of sins that is won by Jesus Christ alone. And so we often will come across churches that simply do not preach the gospel at all. They will deliver powerful words of law. They will heap burdens upon men's consciences. They will preach that the law is good, but they will never Preach the words of salvation. Because the law cannot free sinners who are bound and enslaved to their sin. It can only drive them deeper and deeper into despair. There are also churches that use the gospel as an excuse to never preach the law at all. 
There are also those churches that they see the gospel as their freedom to live in whatever sin they love the most. And in those apostate churches, the spirit of the Antichrist truly lives and breathes his noxious poison into the hearts of men so that they find the preaching of the true gospel to be offensive and evil. They will hear the gospel and say, what do you mean my sins are forgiven? Are you calling me a sinner? Or they'll hear the gospel and say, oh, yes, yes, I know about the forgiveness of sins. I heard about that once, but now it's about what I need to do. And they will leave the gospel behind. We live in a day where either personal works of righteousness and pietism or the false gospels of social justice and sinful tolerance reign supreme. As long as I get to do what I want, as long as I feel better about myself in the end of the day, and when the true gospel is preached, men shudder. They're offended. They call the true preachers of the word intolerant, bigoted, unfaithful, weak, and evil. They say, you can't accuse me of sin. You can't forgive my sin because I'm no sinner at all. And those preachers of the gospel are accused of being lustful, licentious, full of sinful pride. And yet, the gospel must be preached. The angel that proclaims the gospel is nothing other than the true church. The reformers, when they read this passage from Revelation, claimed that this angel was a symbol of Martin Luther himself. He came to preach this gospel. And we certainly can say that every faithful Christian who holds fast to the word of truth of the gospel can fill this role. As we live as the true body of Christ, gathered together in the confession of the one true faith that the spirit of the Antichrist is silenced by, as sinners gather together in repentant faith for the worship of God to receive the forgiveness of sins that is won for us freely by Christ's sake, the Antichrist is robbed of his power and the gospel is made known to the world. The angel calls upon the world to fear God and give him glory. And to not do this is the original temptation. As the serpent said to Eve, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The devil tempted Eve to eat the fruit by telling her that she would be like God. That she would have knowledge apart from God's revelation. That she would have strength and insight apart from God's word. And that she would have power apart from God's granted authority. She could boast in her own wisdom. She would be free from God. But that would be her undoing. Because this temptation didn't free her. It bound her into sin. See, the gospel is God's work. It is God's doing. Every false gospel attempts to give glory to man. That was the issue in Luther's day. Men wanted to be the one who justifies. It is the Luther. It is the it is the issue today as well. The false gospel of Luther's day made the final and ultimate freedom from sin a product of man's efforts. It was either the merit of the saints, it was either the work of penance, the veneration of relics, the payment of indulgences. All were works that were divorced from God's grace alone. If salvation is divorced from the grace of Christ, then it does not give full glory to God. 
And just because there has been a Reformation does not mean that this false teaching no longer exists. Even in the churches of the Reformation, we can see this attitude alive and well. We just need to look at how people often speak of members of the church who have died at and around their funerals. Where do they seek to find comfort as they mourn the loss of their loved one? Naturally, in many cases, we will fall back into that person's work. They'll boast about that person's accomplishment. They will speak of that person's kindness. They will tell stories about how good and wonderful that person was in their life. And sadly, if you find people in and outside of the church, often they will forget the most important thing, though. They will use that person's good behavior or that person's positive or bubbly or good personality as evidence of their dead loved one's salvation. But they forget the grace of Christ. They forget about that loved one who was a sinner. And they strive to make that loved one into a saint. And the only way that sinners are made into saints, though, is by the grace of Jesus Christ alone. They would do better to simply say, I love this person and so does Jesus. Jesus has died and risen for him. But they often forget. And that's why the gospel must be preached. The angel must declare this eternal gospel. You might say to yourself, Pastor, you preach this same thing every week. I get a little tired of it. Yes, I know I'm a sinner. Yes, I know my sins are forgiven. But guess what? If I forget it long enough, so will you. And you'll begin to lean upon yourself once again. In our fallen nature, there is a sinful impulse to justify ourselves, to make ourselves righteous according to our own work. And this impulse towards self-justification is so contrary to the spirit of the true gospel. The true gospel says we are nothing but sinners who are redeemed and forgiven by a gracious God. This is what the last words that Luther penned mean as he wrote, We are all beggars. This is true. We're beggars. This means that we can earn nothing. We can achieve nothing for ourselves before God. We cannot boast in our work that we do before God. None of it undoes the curse of sin. There's only one thing that I can do, and that is to receive from God's open hand. To cling to and to receive the grace of Christ by faith. As St. Paul says, he says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No human work can save the sinner. It is Jesus alone. And every attempt to justify ourselves, every attempt to make ourselves holy, is an attempt to rob God of the glory in saving us. The eternal gospel that the angel proclaims is this. Jesus died for you. This eternal good news is that Christ has won you salvation. This is a true judgment against the dragon and his beast. It is a judgment against the Antichrist of this world that would seek to blind us and drive us away from the gospel. As these evil ones in the world seek to silence and subvert the truth of the gospel as they seek to corrupt and curtail the work of the church, as they strive to strike fear and pride into the heart of every person so that the gospel seems offensive or unjust or unimportant, God will never let that gospel be silenced upon the face of the earth. Remember, it is an eternal gospel 
It does not go away. It does not outgrow its usefulness for you in your life. It will never become outdated. It will endure. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the word will be preached. And in this man will fear the Lord and give him true glory. In many Lutheran churches, you might see the letters VDMA inscribed somewhere in the church. This is an abbreviation of one of the great slogans of the Reformation. It says, Verbum Domini Manat in Aeternum. The word of the Lord endures forever. Jesus says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The angel will continue preaching the gospel. The true church will endure by the power of the word. And in this, the Christian church stands as an insult, a rebuke, and the ultimate sign of destruction for the dragon and his beast. Every Christian who is armed with the word of the Lord can slay the spirit of the Antichrist simply by believing in and confessing the gospel that Jesus Christ has died for me. Every Christian who trusts in Jesus to forgive his sins and to bless him with eternal life is freed from the tyranny of the devil and his beast. That is the true gospel that we confess today. It is the gospel that Luther reasserted and reaffirmed before the church and ages past. It is the gospel that we delight in hearing as God's holy church. The word of the Lord endures. The gospel is eternal, and it will be proclaimed. And we pray that that gospel remains in our church, in our homes, upon our lips, and in our hearts as we live in this fallen world. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the eternal gospel that saves us. We praise you from the Reformation that recovered the preaching of your gospel for the salvation of sinners. And help this true gospel remain in our church until the days of Christ's return. Never allow us to neglect the preaching and the reception of this word which forgives our sins. And always, Lord, let all glory be given to you alone. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds and the true faith to life everlasting. In the name of Jesus, amen. We rise.